Welcome to Our Soul, a podcast by Kelly Fox and Terry Williams from the Ohio Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. Happy Pride, everyone. Welcome to the second Pride episode for the month of June 2021. So today we're going to be talking about the intersection between um, the ways that the state affects uh, LGBTQ health and the ways that the state affects repro and how often it is one and the same. Especially when we start talking about repro and LGBTQ rights, they are way more interconnected than a lot of people think. Um, as an older queer, I like, I like to call myself that because, you know, everyone else does being over the age of 30. That's how this works, right? Um, I, on a regular basis, have people who try that old trope of, well, why are you working in repro if you're gay? Because, you know, gay people can't, you know, reproduce. And it's always so fascinating to me, like, how Neanderthalistic uh, some people's thinking ends up being around repro, as if the only people who have to worry about repro are people who fit this, like, traditional, um, you know, rigid family 1950s, you know, figure that... It wasn't even real in the 1950s, right? Like, Leave it to Beaver was not the majority of American households. Like, we've been having interesting and wonderfully diverse family systems in these United States for generations, right? So, like, yes, queer people have families. They are varied and marvelous and deeply diverse in not only their orientation and their composition, but in the way that they find new pathways to tradition themselves into being, Mm -hmm. right? And when you look at, like, any LGBT pride event right now, you know, you see family groups all over the place. You Mm -hmm. see single parents with kids. You see uh, two parents or more with children. You see family households that chose not to have children and are the fabulous, you know, aunties and uncles and, you know, folk who are are helping to raise the children of the village, right? So, like, yeah, we got a lot to yeah. talk about today. And And families are not just, yeah, like you're saying, families are not just those who are you, who you are even blood related to. Um, and the the need to be able to structure that family however you want and to know that your family will be safe is super important and is something that goes from LGBTQ people to people who need access to reproductive health care. So yeah, that's kind of like where we're where we're starting today. Uh, and I think the first thing and the thing that I think just people, Maybe maybe it's just people who like don't have a full perspective don't think about. But um, first, let's talk about why LGBTQ people need access to abortion. I mean, first of all, um, trans people need access to abortion. Um, a, a trans person may need to have an abortion or may have an unwanted pregnancy, and that is not just limited to cis women. And um, I think it's really important to start there because a lot of people um, will default to women language when it comes to uh, abortion 
like advocacy but it's not uh like the the phrase that's often used is like abortion is not just a issue um and it's important to remember that lgbtq people especially trans people need access to abortion and and sisu of course being a mass a mashup of cis and issue right not yeah. trans but cis because of course <laughs> cisgender describes people who are born into bodies that they feel um, match who they are as opposed to transgender folk who experience a different uh, gender than the assignment that they were given at birth right. I just making sure that people get the basics. Gotta get the definitions know, in. It's very important. I, it's very I, important. I know we, we got questions the last time we used that phrase, issue, because people were yeah. like, we don't even know how to spell that. C-I-S-S-U-E. See, we are even having a little trouble with it, but yeah. Yeah. And personally, like as a cisgender gay man, I... I find no end to frustration in the the struggle that trans folk have in our society around how other people view them and what we use as kind of shorthand code for things we don't really want to say we're thinking about. An example, um, I have had people in my settings, um, you know, not only uh, church settings, but also personal, like just friend group settings, come up to me and want to talk about um, a trans person who is our mutual friend. And the first question is, well, I thought he was a him now. And of course, I don't know what that means, right? Like, what are you trying to ask me, Becky? And at the end of the day, Becky's interested to know whether or not one of our friends had some kind of surgery on their genitalia. And I think that's just a gross thing to talk about. For me, like, I don't want to talk about somebody else's genitalia, right? Like, that's not that's not what I'm up for. But so often in culture and society, we use pronouns and the way that we gender people as shorthand for what did they got under their belt. And I I find such such humor and joy in the way that many trans people approach that because they just kind of play dumb to the questions that come from people and let people sit in their ignorance, right? Like, well, I don't know, Carol, like, you know, what are you really trying to ask? Because at some point, the person asking that question comes around to, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the jerk here, right? And when we start talking about trans folk needing access to abortion, people immediately start the, well, so you're telling me this person who presents us as a man, who I think of as a man, because, you know, these binary constructs are, are in our head, you're telling me that they need access to abortion because they could have a baby. And it's hilarious to watch the wheels turn because what ends up happening is that these people come around to the reality that, oh, I've made assumptions about this other person's genitalia and their bodies that are actually completely invalid. And I love to see that that kind of light bulb go off because it's like, oh, yeah, you shouldn't have been thinking about that in the first place, Carol, but here we are. So let's have a conversation about why abortion is necessary and not just necessary for uh, you know, the people you think of, but it's necessary for everybody, right? Abortion access is necessary for all of these people 
in the system, particularly queer people, because surrogacy is a part of queer experience, right? How we choose to have children with, you know, trusted surrogates or, you know, people who are contracted surrogates, um, people who choose to be surrogates for other folks, right? Um, having access to abortion means that we have access to healthy families and the ability to raise healthy families and the ability to make those choices, right? Around a whole host of relationships that have nothing to do with what you got under your belt or, you know, on your bathing suit areas, those kind of things. Yeah. And I, I, I like to think of it as like, if this isn't a question that you would ask this this person, then why are you asking it about or to a, a trans person? Well, that'll preach. <laughs> also, um, I think this is also important, and um, especially as a person who identifies as bisexual, I think it's very important to say that um, bisexuals who are under the LGBTQ umbrella also need access to abortion. And, um, like, you you don't know what other people's sex lives are like. You don't know what people are going through or what genitalia genitalia you ha- they have. And if it's not a question that you would ask a cisgender or a heterosexual person, then like maybe you shouldn't be asking that of a trans or LGBT person. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's that on that, just to make sure that we have no body erasure here. <laughs> um, totally. But, but so there's the obvious like lgbtq people need access to abortion but one of the more intricate and insidious and uh anger inducing ways that uh, lgbtq people and uh repro are connected is because like the same laws that target abortion and um abortion access also target lgbtq people so um some of you may know or you may not know, but um, I also work for Equality Ohio. And last week, I believe it was, uh, there was the <laughs> there was the budget amendment that um, happened that essentially, from my understanding, and Terry, you can correct me, but essentially said that like if something is against your religious views, uh, healthcare wise, then you can just deny that, and. It was interesting as someone who sits between Repro and LGBTQ um, organizations to see both of the organizations that I work for and the movements around that kind of like stress out a little bit about this thing. This another uh, this um, other attack that was happening from the state on LGBTQ rights and on um, Repro rights. So I think that's an important thing to talk about. When I when I saw that amendment come up, like the the deep expiring groan in my soul, right? Like the uh is these folk were able to find a way to get both of the organizations that you have devoted a tremendous amount of your professional time, talent, and wisdom with. The, the that amendment was able to send both of those organizations into absolute fits of frustration because it's really clear that the amendments put into that budget around quote-unquote religious freedom and quote-unquote personal conscience have nothing to do with religious freedom for everybody and nothing to do with personal conscience for everybody and has everything to do with making life harder for people who already struggle to access care. It's making life harder for people who access abortion care. It's making life harder for people who access 
any kind of LGBTQ specific or informed care. And, and you know, the, the folk who've put this forward are just really clear that they don't care. They've, they've got a solid majority. They're going to move forward with it. And they're not here to listen to, you know, all of their constituents. Um, I, and I, I think what's so fascinating to me in your work with Equality Ohio, you know, part of the struggle for equality is not just equality in terms of the statutory law. It's equality in terms of access, which is the same refrain we've been preaching in Repro for so long that like, okay, you know, abortion is legal, but it doesn't matter if abortion is legal when you find ways to close up every abortion clinic on technicalities, right? Which is, you know, how they're, they're targeting um, particularly transfer agreements also in this budget. You know, they're, they're just going after all kinds of health-based licensures as ways to cut down access to care for people they don't like. Yeah. For queer people, for people who have abortions, for people who could possibly have abortions. It's, it's just the same playbook in two different realms. But we've got to band together because they're doing the same thing to both sides yeah. Right, they're they're doing the same thing to both ends of of this conversation. Yeah, um, and a phrase that we use at uh, Equality Ohio is lived and legal equality. So fighting not only for uh, the legal equality and the ability to like right now it like uh, you could be fired for being queer in Ohio um, without there being any access to repercussions for that, and uh, that. Is a shame and so we're already fighting for uh the legal equality but if we don't have access to lived equality as well then um like it, it it's it's hard you know and it if you if you only have the legal and not the lived then what is the point you know um so yeah those those two things are inextricably tied and i i see almost everything as um very intersectional and very intertwined and um it's i it's pretty clear to me that when uh the rich white uh men who are in charge of our state legislature um make rules it's not to target rich white men but rather to target the queer um the queer women and queer femmes and queer people with uteruses and also straight ones but uh everyone who's not a cis straight white man um and and target their access to whatever it means to be a full person and i think going back to the idea about um families and like what queer families look like and um how those families are valid and important um i think like thinking about the the reproductive justice definition and the freedom to um have access to communities where families can thrive um and having the choice to have a family and when you do have a family having places where you can thrive, I think it's pretty clear that um, both LGBTQ people and um, people who need access to reproductive health care are being attacked by um, the state when they make laws like this and make and amendments to the budget like this. 
You you are so so right, Kelly. And you know what you mentioned earlier. Um, you know you you mentioned the freedom of families, right? Um, to be able to raise kids free from state-sanctioned violence, right? The the three-part definition for reproductive justice from our friends at Sister Song, right, is that folks should have the ability to, uh, you know, choose to have kids, choose not to have kids, and to be able to raise the kids that they have free from state-sanctioned violence, right? And what you've said is 100%, you know, correct. Straight, white, cis men who are wealthy, are running our legislature. And that's why there's all kinds of legislation trying to cut down on people's access to abortion, cut down on LGBTQ folks' access to good health care. And there is no legislation right now, and I haven't seen any proposed to be introduced, that would curtail people's ability to get hair plugs, Viagra, or access to dental veneers. Because let me tell you, when you look at the men of the General Assembly, they a lot of people using them hair plugs, a lot of people getting dental veneers, and Lord knows quite a few of them are having to have that Viagra prescription. Nobody's attacking those things because those things are critical for those particular lawmakers to be able to have their life, right? And I can't think of a single person in this state who couldn't find a doctor near them who would prescribe those things because they can find a straight, white, cisgender, wealthy man as a doctor who knows what it's like to need those particular elements of healthcare and or uh, aesthetics, right? The problem, though, is when people who don't look like the majority need to find access to care, what do they do, right? And we haven't even touched on the the overlay of race on this as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the reality is, uh, we, we were talking before this, uh, this podcast, there is a huge systemic advantage for me as a white person in this state because I'm considered the default. I am the person for which... Most things in the state are programmed toward, and any deviation from the norm has to have exceptions made, right? So, like, from the start, LGBTQ people, people of color, and women are not being default programmed toward because white, straight men are the folk in charge, and white straight men are the ones writing these laws. And white straight men, like Senator Terry Johnson that brought that terrible budget amendment about personal conscience, and other straight white male legislators, like the straight white male senator who refuses to be named but brought forward proposals to cut SNAP benefits for people who make too much money, Mm -hmm. those people people are advancing a straight white male agenda Mm -hmm. on the rest of the state because they can. Mm-hmm. Happy Pride Month, everybody. We got a long way to go, right? <laughs> yeah, no, Ooh. yeah. And we were we were talking about that last week about how we need to not think of Pride as like the finish line, but just the beginning. And um, I, yeah, I think um, when, when thinking about like, you know, how do we do better? How do we make things better for LGBTQ people and for um, those who need access to reproductive health? I think we need to start questioning like what is normal? Like, how can mm-hmm. we define in a in a country that has been defined as like a, a melting pot or we have like lots of different um, ethnicities and nationalities and different religions and different cultures and all of that in America? If we're going to claim to be that, then how can we say that cis straight white men are the default? 
this kind of brings up the question of like what is normal and in a world where there are so many visible queer people when there are so many people who need access to abortion rights and when we claim to have equality of the sexes um <laughs> claim it but mm, mm, no anyway uh what is normal and why is it cis straight white men and how do we change what we think of as normal? And I think that's not only a question at like the state level, but also a question of when we're planning things, when we are in conversations about how we do things, who are we thinking of as our target, our audience, and why is it usually cis straight white men? <laughs> or, or even like cis white women or whatever it is. But like often it is cis white people and um how do like i think it takes a cultural change to start making that shift of what we see as normal and um who we think of when we think of the default because i don't think there is a default <laughs> everything is a spectrum and nobody is the default there is no normal exactly and and the struggle then ends up being how do we acknowledge that there is no default because there is a great diversity that we must listen to and be be in tune with. And at the same time, also acknowledge that any group that fights for power for themselves over and against others is going to try to make themselves into that default group. Like, we've got to get out of the struggle for me and get into the struggle for we, right? Yeah. We have got to understand as people in repro, as LGBTQ folk, as people fighting for black liberation, right? All of these, all of these separate, seemingly separate groups are interconnected by our oppression. And we have to get interconnected by our work for liberation too, because the only way you can fight interconnected oppression is interconnected liberation and organizing you know at the end of the day the default quote unquote is going to be the default until the whole system the whole paradigm gets changed we're not just looking to put somebody different at the top of the hill yeah. we're looking to level the whole hill right and that's what we look at when we take lgbtq health and you know repro next to each other because they are the same situation it's the same fight we might come at the mountain from different sides but we still want the mountain down right we we want the mountain level uh which just to preach for a little bit like in my tradition we have this we have this great prayer by that radical black saint of the church mary the mother of jesus right um mary's a north african so we know that her skin color is not white uh, yeah. despite what despite what all kinds of statues and different things in in uh, churches all over columbus might uh, try to convince you mary was definitely a sister right and her prayer is this magnificat of the lord is going to bless the lowly and send the rich away empty right you know, there's there's this theme throughout Christian tradition, my religious tradition, that, you know, God is going to lift up the low places and make low the high places. God's going to make uh, the small cedars grow tall. You know, Psalm 20 tells us, and then the tall cedars are going to be brought low. That whole concept of equality 
is really a re-leveling. It is a moving about in society in such a way that everyone is brought to be in the same boat, on the same level, in the same place, to acknowledge that we're all in this together, to where there is no default. There is no, you know, straight white male making, you know, all kinds of laws for people who aren't straight, aren't white, and aren't male, right? Mm -hmm. That we now have an equitable sharing in this mm -hmm. space. That's what we're going for. That's what our hope is in in all of this work, whether it's LGBTQ liberation, repro, um, you know, or black liberation. This reminds me, I, I, I am always bringing up our restorative and transformative justice book club, which is taking a month off in June. And we will be announcing soon about um, our upcoming book club on uh, abolition. But anyway, uh, one of the main quotes that I've walked away with is... Um, we want to create a world where winning is no longer necessary because there is no uh, enemy. And that is the world that I think LGBTQ liberation, uh, or that the LGBTQ liberation movement and that um, the repro movement is fighting for, is for a place where there there is no need for uh, like us to be on different sides because we're all fighting for the enemy to be non-existent, for it to be flattened, for us to all have an equal share where we can all be cared for. Um, and I, I just think it's, it's really, these two things obviously go together. And um, when we stop thinking about what is normal and start thinking about how do we care for us, because like we community-wise are like all we have. And so we need to start caring for each other rather than trying to lift up just one group. We're, if we're going to get rid of this uh, supremacist uh, system, we need to not be trying to just change what kind of supremacist. Though I don't think that there could be a queer supremacist or anything like white supremacy. Um, but we shouldn't be fighting to recreate the bad thing that we already have with a different leader but rather to make something completely different. Right, right. And, you know, the struggle ends up being having having pride, right? Um, I, I've heard from quite a few of, you know, my, my hard, uh, I, I will call them hard right-winger friends uh, from high school who aren't really, um, aren't really terribly close friends anymore for obvious reasons. Um, I've heard that they're really worried about LGBTQ pride, right? Pride month, because they have these negative associations with, um, you know, groups and pride. Well, the problem with that is the experience that they've had is rooted in white pride, which is a lot different than LGBTQ pride. Yep. It's a lot different than black pride. It's a mm -hmm. lot different than, than being proud as a group to have survived, mm -hmm. right? So that white supremacy, it does not have to color how other systems and other groups work. Because yep. at the end of the day, raising kids free from state-sanctioned violence is only possible when our laws are not written to cater to religious extremists and they're not written to harm LGBTQ people and people who have abortions. Right now, religious extremists are dictating how our laws are written because they are the loud and vocal minority of the base of the people who have been able to systematically keep themselves in power 
over and above any you know sense of democracy in elections, right? People with fewer votes across the whole state end up with super majorities in our legislature who get to write these laws and they're writing them to cater to those religious extremists and they're catering them on an agenda that is not holistic. It is not about corporate and community thriving. And it's definitely detrimental to LGBTQ people and folk who have abortions. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, Mm -hmm. that's about all the time we have, but uh, it has been good talking with you and uh, we will be back in two weeks. So I hope everyone enjoys the rest of Pride Month and remembers that Pride is not just in June, but all year. Pride is a riot. Remember, you can always check out previous editions of Our Soul on our website at ohiorcrc.org forward slash podcast. And while you're there, feel free to look around at all the other super cool content we have to offer to help you faithfully speak out for abortion access and reproductive freedom all across Ohio.